Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Scenario, did it really happen? Is it a hoax? And then, you know, all of these resources are tied up. Some of them you can't trace. Some of them you can. It's really a danger. Somebody could be maimed or killed. This is not a joke. Yep. All right, Sheriff, keep up the good work. And thank you, as always, for coming on the show. Appreciate it. Good seeing you, my friend. That does it for us tonight. Be sure to tune in tomorrow. We'll have an amazing roundtable. Rachel Lindsay, you know, from The Bachelorette, veteran journalist Rick Sanchez and others. Banfield starts now. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Banfield. I'm Brian Enton in for Ashley tonight. It is another busy night with the crime stories that we all cover so closely. And the thing about the Brian Koberger case is we never know when new court documents are going to drop. Usually it's someone online who pings me on social media, and then I go into like a tizzy and a panic going and trying to find the new documents. And that is what happened tonight. We had a big document dump uh, right before the show printed them all out. We've been going over them, going through them with lawyers. Uh, It includes a very meaty motion to dismiss the grand jury indictment. The translation of that is basically throw out the charges signed off by the grand jury. The question is, uh, is it a good argument or is it just a delay tactic? Now, with this trial very quickly approaching, uh, we literally have a legal legend on the show tonight uh, who is going to help us break it all down. Also, it was an incredibly emotional day in Massapequa Park, New York, as the family of the Gilgo Beach murder suspect, Rex Hureman, returned home for the first time since his dramatic arrest two weeks ago. DailyMail.com acquired several photos of Rex Hureman's wife and their two children as they walked up to the house. They sat on the front porch. Very sad. You can see the emotion Um, and the exhaustion right there on their faces. There are very few people who can understand what they are actually going through during this impossible time, but one person does. She has been through the same exact thing, and she will join me live in just a moment. She's the daughter of the BTK killer. What is it really like returning to the house where you lived with your serial killer father? What goes through your mind when you walk through that door? She knows. She'll be able to talk to us about it. And then the day after the historic UFO hearings on Capitol Hill, we are staying on the story that News Nation first broke. We heard the explosive testimony yesterday. The question today, what comes next? More hearings they are already being planned. Secret interviews are already happening. Uh, and we'll break it all down for you later in the hour. But we begin tonight uh, in, uh, in New York, in Long Island, New York, where today's developments They really got me thinking, you can't just immediately stop loving someone. 
You just can't stop loving someone right away. That's not how it works. You know that. If you've been cheated on, or if a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or wife has done something really, really awful to you, you get mad and you get furious and you hate them. But the love just does not immediately go away, no matter how upset you are. That's not how the brain seems to work. And I found myself thinking about that when I first saw these pictures today online. Photos of accused serial killer Rex Hureman's wife and children returning to the family home for the first time since their husband and father was dramatically arrested on the streets of Manhattan back on July 13th. These photos were acquired by DailyMail.com, and you you can see the emotion on their faces as, as they walked up to the front door, and then they sat on the front porch exposed to the stares of of their neighbors, and there were reporters and bystanders out there, and they they sat right there on the bench. The family looks incredibly stressed, obviously exhausted, and now forced to pick up the pieces of their life. Some of those pieces, literal ones, after the police spent nearly two weeks tearing apart their house and backyard. All indications are Hureman's family knew nothing about the horror their dad and husband are accused of. Can you imagine what it's like being in that house for them? Their lives have clearly been upended. Their names been ruined by someone that they loved and who they probably believed loved them too. They probably still love him because that's their dad and it's her husband. And they probably just can't help it. It's going to take time to sort this out in their head. And in a sick and twisted way that we can't understand, but all the serial killer experts that we interview night after night tell us that these guys are able to compartmentalize and in some ways actually be good fathers and be good husbands, but also be violent, psychotic killers. It's hard to understand, but we've seen it happen again and again. I'm joined by Caitlin Becker. She is a senior reporter for DailyMail.com, the host of Daily Mail Crime on TikTok, and a victim's advocate for Project Cold Case. Um, Caitlin, it's, it's always good to see you. Um, those, those pictures are, are really just like heartbreaking. I mean, you, you can see the pain on their faces. Do we know, are they staying in the house long term? Are they there tonight? Do we know what their plan is as a family? We don't know what their plan is as a family at this point yet. Brian, they do not want to speak to the media. That much is clear. They are in the house at the moment. And we know if they plan on going anywhere, they can't go too far. As part of the investigation, passports, phones, laptop, all of those things were taken from the family members. Now, we know that Asa Ellerup, the wife, does have family in Iceland. She's Icelandic, but it doesn't seem that she's going to be able to go over there if that is in the cards for her at all, because like I said, those passports have been taken. And as you could see from the photos that we obtained, that raw emotion on their faces, it does seem like an odd choice for them to sit outside of the house in front of the media, in front of all of the tourists who are there, in front of the police. But I wonder if it was because it's just too hard to go inside quite yet. I mean, like you had mentioned, their whole lives have been turned upside down, but this is their home base. This is their sense of home. Yeah. Again, it's just, um, it, it, it's so sad to see. Do we know at all what may happen with the house? I mean, obviously it's, it, it's so soon, but there's already been some speculation, like would it eventually be torn down? Do we have any indication? 
Well, we do have some indication. The actual the village of Massapequa Park, Massapequa Park Village, is actually getting all of their legal ducks in a row to potentially purchase this house and tear it down if the family chooses to sell. They are really organizing everything. The mayor spoke at a town hall just this week about the fact that this is the plan, this is what the town wants to do, because neighbors and residents don't want that sort of grim tourism to flourish in this area. I mean, the Amneville Horror House is not far from this. Of course, we know that famous home from the from the movies. And people still to this day go to that house to go and look at it. And they don't want this real life situation to just attract all of this sort of grim tourism. And and morbid tourism is a flourishing field. I mean, yeah. it actually is an industry that is flourishing. And I think the village really wants to get in a position where should the family choose to sell, they can immediately scoop it up and then tear it down so that that doesn't happen. And Hureman's right, wife, has, has she officially filed a divorce. I know that there were some headlines about the possibility of that. Has that officially happened? It has. She has filed for, filed for divorce from Rex Hewerman. It happened rather quickly. And that, I think, is another reason why the family will likely stay somewhat close by because these divorce proceedings are also going to be working their way through the court. I have to imagine from her perspective, she would like that wrapped up as quickly as possible. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, it's just it's it's um, again, the, the pictures are just heartbreaking. Caitlin Becker, uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Okay, I want to bring in someone who understands what the Hureman family is going through all too well. Carrie Rossin is the daughter of Dennis Rader, known to the media as the BTK killer. Thank you for being with us uh, tonight, Carrie, and always helping us talk through these cases and these situations because really no one can can explain it the way that you can. Um, again, you know, to see those photos is, is very, very sad. They went in the house. Tell us what um, what was it like going back in your house for the very, very first time? Um, so my reality is I was already married at the time, living in Michigan. I was 26. That's where I was notified that dad was BTK. Um, I actually did not step back foot in my um, parents' home where I grew up until May of 2005. Um, my mother was, was living with relatives for several months, actually um, hiding from the media and trying to, you know, they took care of her. And I, I would visit and stay with family. Um, when I went back in May, I went back to get some of my like high school stuff and trinkets and things that I wanted to keep, memory things. It was very difficult to go back in the house. I was only in it for one day. I put stuff in a tote and I left. Yeah, I can imagine. What about your mom? How, how quickly was she able to go back inside? You know, I don't. I, she didn't really go back either until she was ready to start like boxing things up. Um, we didn't have a ton of like crime scene issues there. Um, my dad confessed the first weekend. And mm. so the FBI went in, got what we needed and the house wasn't like grand shack. There wasn't like what you're seeing in Rex's yard. Um, my mom went back when it was time to start boxing stuff up. And then, um, the reality is my mom had a mortgage on the house. And so she was paying the mortgage on the house and paying rent um, on her new place. And then the house ended up in a lawsuit. And it was like a two-year ordeal when you're talking about the city buying it. Literally, um, an anonymous donor bought my parents' house, paid off my mom's mortgage, gave it to the city, and they bulldozed it and turned it into a park. Oh, that's very interesting the way that that, that turned out because there's so many... Um questions and speculations about what will happen with with Hureman's house. I found it interesting. We know that 
Hureman's wife has filed for divorce. But in those pictures, it appeared that she was still wearing her wedding ring. Um, what do you what do you make of that? Oh, my mom wore hers for a long time. She was married like for um, more than three decades. I honestly don't remember when she took them off. Um, honestly, she probably still has them. I mean, she still has her wedding album. Um, it's not on display, but she still has those things. When you're talking about loving somebody, you just don't stop that. It just doesn't end overnight. And it, and it is different for like a wife. They can um, file for divorce and, you know, sort of make those changes and signal things um, to their ex that like a child can't. And so like for Rex's children and my dad, you know, for me, like we're always his kid. There's, there's no way you can divorce your parent. Yeah. And you, you said something that you, you just can't stop loving someone. And, and I thought a lot about that today, that those pictures made me think about it. Um, because even if you want to stop loving someone, I mean, if it's your dad or your husband, um, you can't just automatically stop at least right away, I would assume. No. And you're going back and forth constantly. We've talked about the grief process here. Like you're going through shock and denial um, and you're working through acceptance. And, and, and we talked about, um, you know, Asa saying like, like, okay, it is what it is. Like you're, it is what it is. It's reality. Right. And so it is actually really strong to see them show up to their house and they're going through their mail and they're sitting on their porch and they have the dog and they're, this is reality. This is a way to basically deal with what's happening and start processing it. Um, you know, I hate to see the media, they're bothering them, but like, that's also reality too. Um, I, I, I'm proud of them for just going and, and trying to, to, to live their life. Yeah, I almost wondered if they were trying to send a statement by sitting outside on the porch, knowing that there were people out on the street. Um, you know, it's, in other cases, we've seen people will rush inside or they'll have like a towel over their head or whatever. But it, it seemed like in a way they were trying to just like be out front about the whole thing or something like that. They look exhausted. Yeah. They look tired. They look overwhelmed. They look just like anybody that's grieving and dealing with insane insanity on so many levels, financial, legal, media, courts. Um, like, I think they're just letting people know, hey, this is us and this is our home. And uh, we're going to sit here and pet a dog. That, that's what yeah. I think they're saying. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I heard so many people today say like, gosh, why would they go back to that house? Who could go back to that house? But Again, almost like going back to the fact that you can't stop loving someone right away, um, even if you try. I mean, that's you can't like just stop thinking that some place is your home if that's where you've been comfortable for decades and that's where your things are. Um, it, I, I think I can understand why they would, would want to go back. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, say you're dealing with financial stuff. You're looking at lawsuits. My family, my mom faced a lawsuit. Um, you're dealing with so much. Where What are you? are you going to do at some point you have to come out of hiding i mean that's literally why i started speaking up eight years ago i was done hiding and i was just finally ready to come forward and say this is me they're they're just saying hey this is our home we're just we're just normal people here now rex is not obviously but we're not well, these are innocent people that are just trying to pack up things or they have the right to live there the rest of their life there's a community saying hey 
let's buy out their house. Okay, what does the family want? Let's start there and ask yeah. them what they want. I mean, and you've obviously been public now um, with what you've gone through and, and you use your voice to help others and other families and people dealing with grief and trauma. How is your mom doing? I mean, I know she's, she's not as, as public as you, but how's she doing? Um, she's just chose to live like a quiet private life and she's really stuck to the life that she had and made changes to, you know, protect herself. But really she just dug in and said, this is me and this is my life and I'm going to keep living it. Um, I, I'm the one that speaks up and like, I try my best to protect all my family the best that I can. Um, well, you know, we're talking almost 20 years out for us. The reality is that it never goes away. It, it's always, you're always connected to these people. If you look at the headlines, I'm always BTK's daughter. Um, and it never really, go, it never goes away, but it settles into a place where, where it's just a part of your reality. It's not your like living, breathing horror story. It's, it settles. Yeah. It's interesting you say that because every time I introduce you, I, I almost feel a little bad when we say BTK's daughter, because you're so much more than that. But at the same time, like we're having you on to explain what this other family is going through. So it does make sense. But I, I do feel bad about that sometimes that you always have to be labeled that way. It's, it's okay. It's just the reality of, of, of labeling somebody someday. I'll be known under my name. Uh, it, it's fine. I appreciate like you're always, you're always victim centered and focused and that I really do appreciate that. Well, we appreciate you coming on, Carrie. Uh, thank you for providing your perspective as always. Um, and, and we'll see you soon. Okay. See you soon. Okay, we have to take a very quick break, uh, but don't go anywhere. Still to come, security cameras are in place. Reporters have been told to back off outside that house. But will the families return to to the home actually add to this dark tourism problem that's popped up in this neighborhood. We've seen it with other cases, too. Um, And if you were actually thinking of heading there, which you shouldn't anyway, because it's just probably not a good idea. Think again, though, because you could also face a fine. The police is being they're being very, very serious there. Uh, We're going to talk about it coming up next. What's gotten lost in a lot of news coverage is trust. Dan Abrams and Elizabeth Vargas on America's fastest growing cable news network, News Nation. News Nation is the place that people can come because they trust that at the least we're trying to be straight with them. Every point of view is represented. That's what we do. We only earn that trust, keep that trust by every single night fulfilling that mission. To find News Nation on your screen, go to joinnn.com. I'm a sushi chef. I also happen to be a cat. How'd I get here? Adobe Photoshop. It turned a cute kitty like me into a sashimi master. And it can make your images look amazing, too. In just a few clicks, you can replace a boring background, swap out a so-so sky, and remove distractions like people and power lines. With Photoshop, everyone can. I love playing with this mouse. Click or tap the banner to visit Photoshop.com and pounce on your free trial today. Check the back seat. Check the back seat. Hi, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot, fast, and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the back seat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. 
When it comes to a gun suicide attempt, all it takes is a moment. Heather and I had an argument just like any other couple. I was lost. I had snapped. I had a gun, and I was going to take my own life. Heather helped me realize that there was still a life to live for the better of myself, my family. My weapon is now safely put away. A moment of crisis can happen to anyone. Store your guns, locked, unloaded, and away from ammo. Hear more safe stories at endfamilyfire.org. Brought to you by Brady and the Ad Council. Thank you for listening to News Nation, America's source for engaging and unbiased news. Ew, gotta get rid of this old Backstreet Boys t-shirt. Tell me why. I've washed it so many times, but the odor won't come out. Have you tried Downy Rinse and Refresh? It doesn't just cover up odors. It helps remove them. Downy Rinse and Refresh removes more odor in one wash than the leading value detergent in three washes. Find it wherever you buy laundry products. This back-to-school season, Downy and Tide are giving back with $1.5 million in scholarships. Enter to win. No purchase necessary. USNDC, 16 or older, and September 30th. Rules at downy.com slash scholarship slash official rules. When you're diagnosed with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis, you just want to feel better. Steroids help get my symptoms under control, but they come with problems and long-term risks. I need to look out for my future health. The Crohn's and Colitis Foundation changed everything. They encouraged me to take action and even helped me find a specialist. We now have a plan that works for today and tomorrow. Don't put off finding an answer. Spill your guts. Learn more at spillyourguts.org. What if one day you went to your secret hiding place and instead of what you came for, you found a phone number, 1-800-662-HELP. What would you do? Would you stop and give it some thought? Before drugs take their toll on you and your family, know that there is help. You can quit. For help with drug use, call 1-800-662-HELP for free and confidential information and treatment referral or go to samhsa.gov slash know the risks. Here at the Post Malone Raising Canes in Utah, we pride ourselves on hand-battered chicken fingers. Post, we do that at every Raising Canes across the country. Does every Raising Canes across the country have Post Malone collector cups? For a limited time, we do. Raising Canes chicken fingers. One love. We are the Veterans Health Administration, and our hands provide life-changing care to over 9 million veterans across more than 1,200 facilities nationwide. Join hands with us to make an impact in your community. Learn more at vacareers.va.gov. It is not just Rex Huerman's family that's been spotted at that house lately. Dozens of visitors from all parts of Long Island and sometimes much, much farther have flocked to the house just to gawk and to take photos. They are called crime tourists or grief tourists. And the people who live on the street say they have made their lives a living hell lately. The county has heard their complaints and they announced that they will be handing out fines to any grief tourists that are spotted on the street. Anyone who stops to take photos outside the Huerman home will be handed a $150 ticket. I don't think I've ever seen that before with all the crime scenes that I've that I've covered. Will it work or will some people just pay the ticket so that they can stay there and take a photo for social media? Uh, I want to bring in John Kelly. He's a criminal profile profiler, psychotherapist and addiction specialist. He's worked more than 100 serial murder cases, including the Green River Killer, the Atlantic City murders and the Long Island Killer case. Thank you so much for being with us, John. I was so excited that you were coming on tonight uh, when I saw you were going to be here. I want to ask about this dark tourism thing. But I first want to ask you, just since we have you tonight, uh, we've been covering this a lot. Do you think that there could be a connection between the Atlantic City murders and the Long Island serial killer case? Do you think Rex Huerman could be involved? 
That's a great question, and and the I I don't think so personally. Uh, from what I've seen in Atlantic City and being involved in those cases, but Brian, I've got to tell you, they got to put them there. They have to put them in Atlantic City before you can even move forward with that. Personally, I see a different type of uh, mo here. I mean, I see a different type of serial killer. Yeah, we had on uh, Dr. Ramsland last night who, who seemed to allude to the same thing, saying they needed to thoroughly check it out. But I don't think she felt like there was really a connection based on what she saw either. But let's move on to the dark tourism thing, because it's interesting. I've never seen them give out tickets before. These tickets of over $100 they're going to give uh, to people. How do you explain this psychologically, like why people are drawn to go to these these homes? You know, it's it's what you brought up, words you brought up earlier, horror. You know, it's the horror of it all. I mean, people uh, are very attracted to murder and mayhem, mm. and especially if there's a house that's in the neighborhood. I mean, they're they're getting uh, a lot of stimulation out of looking at it and saying to themselves, "Here's where it happened. This is where he killed them." Okay, even though he's innocent to proven guilty, I have to say that. But, I mean, this is where it took place. He had a vault in there. He had guns in there. You know, this is the house. Then, on the other side of that, there's something ironic. Get a load out of this. you got to see this house. This guy was an architect, had a successful business in downtown Manhattan. Yeah. Where do you see the house this architect looked at? So you, you have this, these various uh, 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 stimulators taking place. And, you know, I mean, people are just drawn to true crime. They're just drawn to murder and mayhem. And that's why horror shows do very well in the theaters. I it, mean, it's, it's just very stimulating. It, it creates an adrenaline rush. Yeah, and to a certain extent, I get it. I mean, look, if something happened in my neighborhood and I wasn't a reporter, I'd, I'd probably drive by. I mean, I don't think I could help myself. I'm just curious and kind of a nosy person. I think most people... Are. So you can understand that. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Even if you park it out of your car, oh, I'm going to walk by, walk the dog by. Look, I mean, I, I get that. I think where I draw the line when I go out to these scenes is the people who are just like joking out there and just lingering around and taking um, selfies outside these houses. And then they go up on their Facebook Live and just kind of make a joke of the whole thing. Um, that seems like wrong. Yeah, it's lurking. I mean, it's it's like um, you know, dark lurking. And I I I really think that they're not showing the family any empathy. I mean, because a family and children, especially along with the wife, have been really affected here. Okay, I mean, there's two sides to this. You know, and just like there's two sides to him. Okay, I mean, you've got the uh, chameleon here, I call it the dark chameleon, where you have the father that uh, was very, uh, I guess, loving and caring in some way that they stuck by him. Uh, and then you have him leading a double life and supposedly being a, uh, you know, serial killer and a uh, sadist uh, of, and, and, and someone who's very interested in uh, murder and torture. Yeah, the double life thing is what really freaks me out, that people are capable of that. Um, but just back to the dark tourism thing, I'm thinking back to my time outside 
the um, the house where uh, the murders happened in Idaho, where Brian Koberger is accused of those killings. And again, you had a lot of people driving by and, and you could understand that. But outside that house, there were also people that would come and want to take pictures and want to joke around and like almost like some people even like came by with like beers and stuff. And I think do people just does this just become such entertainment to them that they lose track of the fact that there are like real families behind the scenes, that this isn't just like a video game. Yeah, you're right. You have to ask yourself, how did they become so desensitized, you know, to the whole family unit and the whole picture, you know, but I mean, I mean, is it social media? Do you think you think it's social media? I I think it's all about all the above. I think it's social media. I think it's, uh, you know, television. I think, you know, there's a big market out there for violence yeah. I think it's video games. I mean, we live in a very, very violent society. It's on the news every night. We've got all types of mass murders. We've got serial killers. I mean, uh, the United States is uh, really the murder capital of the world. Do you think Rex Hurman may have committed the murders inside that house um, where, where he lived there with his wife? I mean, because... Um, the police haven't really given us details about that. They said they were looking for trace evidence. We know they took stuff. They did that extensive search of the house. I mean, do you think they're going to end up being able to tie any of the killings to that actual house? I think, I don't know if they're going to be able to tie them to the house, but I'll tell you something. I really think that he would have gotten a lot of use out of that gun vault he had, okay? And that kind of uh, safe type of situation because if he was going to kill and the wife, his wife being out of town, the kids being out of town on vacation gave him, you know, such leeway to use that house and whatever was in that house in any way, shape or form he wanted. And let's face it, you're inside that vault. Nobody's going to hear you scream. Okay. That's something he's got to be cognizant of in order to keep control and have, you know, his victim uh, dominated. He's got to keep them quiet. They can't be screaming. We can't have neighbors running over. We can't have neighbors calling the cops. I think he would have taken, uh, you know, a full advantage of that vault, that gun vault, for for other reasons besides guns. Yeah, that vault is very, very interesting. That's really stood out since that came out over, over the last couple of days. John Kelly, it's been such a pleasure having you on tonight. Uh, thank you My for all your insight. Really appreciate it. Have a good one. Have a great night. Thank you, Brian. Okay, the other big story we've been covering, those UFO hearings. What did you think about it? It's a lot to process. It's been a day now. Were you blown away by the detailed encounters described by really highly credible witnesses? You can't argue with that, that they're credible. Or were you expecting to hear more, see more proof? A lot of people said, look, I need to see the proof. When we come back, you'll hear what other viewers are saying and how the bombshells have already encouraged more pilots to share sightings. Plus... Just within the last couple of minutes, there's some new legislation that has passed involving UFOs just passed through the Senate. We'll explain what it is coming up. Encounters with UFOs, non-human biologics and technology so advanced it defies physics on Earth, not to mention an alleged secret government program to recover and reverse engineer crashed UFOs. These details from the UFO hearing on Capitol Hill yesterday, you've still got 
all of us trying to process it all, sort of settling in. And viewers have been sounding off on social media about it on YouTube. Uh, One person wrote, Before today, I had some doubts about David Grush and his claims, but he impressed me with his demeanor before the committee and the unwavering uh, responses he provided. He's convinced me there is something going on in secret. Another viewer says, Big moment in history. Take note. You will be telling your grandkids about this day. This next person uh, that we have was not impressed. They wrote on social media, this hearing was a huge disappointment, as obviously many firsthand witnesses are still afraid to come forward with what they know. They are fearful for their families' lives and their own. A lot of you just thanks News Nation for covering the subject. We appreciate it. We're going to stay on it. We were really the only national cable news channel to cover the hearings from beginning to end, which, which really surprised me. I thought... The others would cover it a little bit more. But bombshell hearings or not, our next guest says there is a process to feeding this type of information to the public. And yesterday was just an initial step toward educating and destigmatizing UFOs. In fact, Ben Hansen spent all day collecting firsthand UFO accounts from pilots at Oshkosh's Aviation Expo, pilots who are sharing their sightings for the first time ever, partly because of yesterday's hearing. Uh, ben Hansen is a former federal agent and currently the host of Discovery Plus's UFO Witness he joins me now. Ben, thanks for, for being with us. I'm curious, what, what have you heard from the pilots out there at the convention? Are, do, do a lot of people have stories of their own? So, Brian, it, it's brutally hot out here in Wisconsin. Yeah. And yet, we here at our booth, and um, I would say I had a line, you know, a dozen people deep. Every five minutes, someone new coming up and telling me their stories. And um, everything from commercial pilots to, uh, you know, UAPs that they've seen to, I had a really good uh, account told to me by someone who was in the Coast Guard, which I hope to soon break this story on if we can vet it. But we're talking about USOs under the water coming up uh, in front of a U.S. Coast Guard cutter um, that was filmed. Uh, Somewhere there's a film that was taken and, and sent off and people told not to talk about it. So uh, well, did the person of, seem credible? What was the I mean, did you get a like a, a real vibe? Absolutely. Um, and this person has agreed to come forward. And I think probably because a lot of stigma, uh, stigmatization, like you said, is, is kind of waning a bit. He said, I said, would you be willing to talk to me? And he said, um, what are they going to do to me now? And he's like, yeah, yeah let's, let's sit down and let's chat. And I think a lot of that was because people were kind of sitting back to see what would happen to people like Grush. You know, and and it's a green light now. Yeah, I think if you're going to come forward with something like that, you almost have to have a plan to figure out how you're going to handle the hate. We've heard from so many uh, people who have come forward with claims that they've even had death threats. It's interesting, Ben, U.S. Senate just passed the National Defense Authorization Act, and in it there's a UAP Disclosure Act. This just happened that establishes an agency to gather UAP records. So it, it does seem like progress. And again, even if you're a skeptic, it's, like, it's not like I'm telling anyone to believe in UFOs. I'm a skeptic, too. I think we should all be skeptical about everything, but, but we should know what's going on, right? I mean, if people are reporting things and there's photos, it seems like a, a step forward, this, this, um, this act that the Senate passed. Well, it, the act hasn't actually passed yet from my understanding, but it, uh, we, we've got a, a little bit ahead of us to go. And I rely on other people who had time to analyze this because like you said, it just came out. Uh, Dean Johnson on Twitter does a lot of this analysis. And uh, what he's been able to do is to show how it's still got to go to another committee. So a House Senate joint committee okay. to review what the different versions are. And then it will go back to the, them to sign it, to vote on it, go to the president. But some of the key provisions that were still in there as of right now would be 
the government has eminent domain over the ownership of recovered technologies of unknown origin, biological evidence. So uh, the government still wants to be able to retain those things if they exist. We also have the defunding of any UAP reverse engineering program if it was not declared to the committee. Um, and so they're basically saying, you come out now and you tell us what you're working on or we're going to defund you. Um, and then also a, a lot of funding for Arrow so they can uh, continue going. So a lot of good stuff. We hope those provisions stay in there when it passes. Yeah, based on the testimony yesterday, though, the, the shadow programs that, that, there, you know, that possibly exist, it sounds like they're funded in secret anyway, though. They sort of uh, add on additional expenses to other programs, and then they have the money secretly for the for the secret program. So I wonder, even if the, if this passes through all the way and is signed off by the president, you know, could they still get away with this if it's actually happening? And that's a great question and concern, and I think that's why they dug in and asking, uh, you know, David Grush, and saying, "Hey, um, do you are, can you confirm that this is happening? What is the mechanism by where they're funding themselves? And he says, well, I'll, t- I'll talk about that in a skiff. But what I can he uh, I did confirm was that it basically is happening where they're overcharging their contracts. The government contracts are then siphoning that money, which is misappropriation of funds, which squarely lands in the responsibility of the oversight committee to know about this and to have that access um, to find out, you know, where these funds are going and why they're being lied to in Congress. Yeah, in terms of uh, pilots being more comfortable coming forward, you've been talking to pilots uh, who are sharing their stories now at this convention. You know, there's not a, a government system where they can log in and, and post pictures or post what they saw. There doesn't seem like there's a, anyone tracking it. But are, it, from what I understand, like that you're creating an app, there's some work being done sort of on the nonprofit side. Uh, there is a, a for-profit company that I've been, you know, consulting with um, that started up called Enigma, and they have an app that we're hoping to capture all civilian reports, not just pilots. But on the pilot side, you're right. Um, you can go to the FAA regs right now, and the FAA says either go, you know, report to a civilian agency or call your local law enforcement if life or property is in danger. You're, you're flying at 20,000 feet and you see, a, you know, UFO, uh, let's say a, a disc that's hovering close to your craft. When you land, do you think they're going really going to go call the local police? And what are they going to do about it? Right. So it's very inconsistent. There's no real follow up. Um, I think that the system kind of needs to be overhauled and they need to understand that they have protections for that reporting. And that's why people such as Ryan Graves. With his organization, you know, we've been discussing things on how that can be revamped. Well, uh, it certainly seems like progress is happening. Uh, Hopefully there will be a system where these pilots can report what they see, whatever it is, so they can start keeping track of it. Uh, Ben Hansen, thank you so much for, uh, for coming on again tonight. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Okay, coming up just in the News Nation, breaking news within the last couple of hours, a bombshell motion dropped by attorneys for Brian Koberger, the man charged with murdering four Idaho college students. Could it have an impact on the case or is it just a delay tactic? Are they just throwing things at the wall at this point? It's a very, very meaty, long document. Stay there. Mark Garagos is with me. We're going to talk it through with him. No one better to help us analyze it. He's coming up after the break. Breaking news from Moscow, Idaho, another document dump in the Idaho student murders case. This one, like so many others, it came as a bit of surprise. A lot of documents tonight. 
quite a few. I got a shout out to my friend Anna, who always alerts me, my lawyer friend, when these documents come down and then helps me explain them to me because this one tonight was quite complex. Brian Koberger's defense team now asking the judge to throw out Koberger's indictment that was handed up in May by a grand jury. Koberger's argument is the grand jury was misled as to the standard of proof needed to bring charges. Uh, here to help us navigate this breaking news tonight, criminal defense attorney Mark Garagos. We couldn't have anyone uh, better on than, than you, Mark. This is amazing to have you tonight. Um, first of all, what does this mean? Um, Brian Koberger's defense never wanted a grand jury involved in the first place, now saying the, the grand jury process was done all wrong. Do they have, do they have a point here? Yeah, well, yes, I I didn't talk to you about it, but I talked to your better half, uh, Ashley. The um, the idea that they uh, went to a grand jury, I think, took the defense by surprise. You'll remember all the skirmishing about one of the witnesses that was out of state that they wanted to have compelled to the preliminary hearing. And they ended up compromising on that and saying they do what was called a deposition in a criminal case, which is not a common practice. Here, what they're saying is, look, we are not only were not told or given enough advance notice of the fact that they're going to the grand jury, but the standard, meaning the instructions that were read to the grand jury were wrong. And what do you mean by that? There are jury instructions that tell you what the standard of proof are or or is in a grand jury or a preliminary hearing. That is what's called a probable cause proceeding. That means I sometimes joke. Does that mean my client is breathing? But the legal definition is. Is there a uh, substantial amount of proof of the crime? Obviously, there is. And that it ties to the defendant or the accused. Here, they're saying that the standard, as it was read to the grand jury, and mind you, they've got a court reporter in there that is transcribing everything. And they make the point that it was the grand jury was misled. Now, that would not necessarily throw out the case. What they're saying is, okay, the grand jury indictment is flawed. Now let's go back and have what we always bargained for, so to speak, which is a preliminary hearing where we get to cross-examine witnesses, something you don't get to do in a grand jury indictment. So we thought there was going to be a preliminary hearing initially. Then there was the secret grand jury, and we found out no preliminary hearing. I mean, do you, do you think there's a good chance we could end up actually having a preliminary hearing after all? I'm always dubious or cynical about the idea of a judge throwing out a grand jury indictment. It's not commonplace, uh, and especially in a high-profile case like this, but I've seen it happen. I can give you some high-profile examples of when it has happened. I, I think they do have the defense has got a compelling point, meaning they said we were we were led to believe that they were going to do a preliminary hearing. Based on that, we waived our right to a speedy trial, a.k.a. preliminary hearing. We relied on it. It was a contract, basically. When you waive your right to the a speedy preliminary hearing, you're relying on the fact that you're going to get a preliminary hearing. 
to then have the prosecutor go uh, behind your back, basically, do a secret grand jury indictment, that would mislead. And so if they can show that clearly there's a substantive difference in what the the law was that was read to the grand jurors in secret, and they've got the, the transcript, then a judge has got a real problem. Does he want to go force them to go to trial based on an infirm uh, indictment, or is he better off just giving the uh, defense what they want, or she mm. giving the what they want a preliminary hearing? What do you make of this defense team, Mark? Based on the filings that you've read, from what you've seen, um, obviously you would know way more than me. But but just as as a non lawyer, I mean, they seem pretty slick to me with with, with a lot of these filings. I always um, I always resent when somebody calls a defense lawyer slick. Sorry. I tell you. My dad's uh, yes. a defense lawyer, by the way. So take it, take it with love. I know, I know your, I know who your father is. So um, I don't take it personally. Okay. I'm just telling. You, I, uh, I think that this team is very skilled in capital defense. I mean, they, it, you know, there are a lot of defense lawyers, a lot of defense lawyers who are very good, but never do a capital case. Capital cases require uh, a constant vigilance and a dogged determination. And, you know, as was reported early on in this case, this was um, one of the very few people, this defense team, that were qualified to actually try a capital case. Right. By the way, uh, by the way, the um, the uh, the judge, I think, has been doing a phenomenal jo- job so far in letting the defense air out uh, everything that they should air out. And uh, that's, you know, you don't often get that. So that's something that should be noted. Yeah, it seems like they're trying to go above and beyond, to be fair. Um, what about the timeline? Because everybody's wondering, like, will this actually go to trial in October? It's, it's still set. Do you think that'll actually end up happening? There's a greater chance of Trump going to trial before the 2024 <laughs> election than there is of this going to trial in October. And there's no chance that Trump's going to trial. So, no, I don't think that that's going to happen. I, I don't think that it could ever happen. I'll tell you why. When you have four separate um, uh, uh, homicides and you have the the just you characterize it as a document dump. I'll just characterize it as probably terabytes worth of information. The it's incumbent on the defense to go through all of that, to have their own experts go through all of that, because understand what will happen if they don't. And there's a conviction. The first thing that's going to happen on appeal is there will be an allegation that there's IAC, ineffective assistance of counsel. And then that can conviction for decades. There was another document. I don't know if you saw it, Mark, that the prosecution filed that came out tonight in the stack. Basically, initially, uh, Koberger had this deadline for an alibi to, to file the alibi, didn't really give the alibi in, in what they filed. Um, and now the prosecution has come back today and said, no, you have to you, you, you have to give up your alibi. How do you think that'll play out? Let me tell you what I think is really going on. You may remember during the arraignment, he did not, Kohlberger did not enter a plea. Uh, a lot of people speculated uh, why was that. I thought it was strategic at the time. The fact that they did not comply or refuse to comply with the alibi request uh, supports what I think. They're saying 
that I'm old enough basically to remember when there was no such thing as reciprocal discovery, meaning you held the prosecution to their burden of proof. The prosecution had to prove it beyond a reasonable doubt. You didn't have to as a defense lawyer or as a defendant do anything. What they're saying is, no, we want the defendant to tell us if he's going to allege an alibi, who are the witnesses? What is your alibi? Mm. Defense is saying here, no, 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 we're not doing that. And that tells me that they've got information that is not necessarily going to come through their own witnesses, but they've got information that they think during the prosecution's case in chief, they can elicit during cross-examination show that he wasn't there. It's going to be interesting to see if, if that comes out. Mark, thank you always uh, for coming on. We really appreciate it tonight. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Okay, still to come tonight, could the stabbing death of Christian Absmeli by his OnlyFans model girlfriend have actually been prevented tonight? There are new allegations that help was actually right around the corner, but nothing was done. We've got the details next. New details are coming to light about the night OnlyFans model Courtney Clenny, who had nearly 2 million followers, as Courtney Taylor fatally stabbed her boyfriend, Christian Abzeli, inside their luxury Miami apartment in April of last year. There was shocking video from the fateful night, shows Clenny's body covered in blood and handcuffed after police responded to a domestic disturbance call at the couple's home. In May, we reported Abzeli's family had filed a wrongful death lawsuit accusing the condo owner, the property management company, and the condo security company of negligence. Well, tonight, a Attorneys for the estate are alleging that a condo security guard actually stood outside the door for 12 whole minutes as Clenny stabbed Abumzeli to death. The amendment claims, quote, building security arrived at the Clenny unit, knocked on the door, heard yelling through the door, stood outside and did nothing, did nothing. How wild. It's a story we'll stay on. That's our time for tonight. Cuomo's next. See you tomorrow night. Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Thursday. We're live. So let's get after it. And we have breaking news. Former President Trump just got hit with new charges in the Mar-a-Lago documents case.